0: It's time to
1: rock and roll! Hello, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Waffle Press Hangouts. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. Uh, it, it's been a while since Gene and I recorded together. Gene is my co-host. So, Gene, how are you? We're just going to jump right into it today.
0: Yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm slightly congested because of the weather, but I sound—I think I sound all right. I'm just drinking, drinking a lot of tea
1: yeah right. i i didn't notice beforehand but then you were like yeah i think i sound all right I was like i, I no. guess like
0: no i think i sound okay it's just like slightly you could
1: you know no no, no yeah because like... yeah, that's how you sounded before and then you were like hey, and i was like mm, that's just for that's... a fact yeah i was like oh and i didn't know how serious that one was mm-hmm. um but yeah so but you've also been uh on your on your grind with oh. uh, these podcasts, we, you you've had a, a couple great interviews. We got another great interview today. We'll introduce our guest in a second. Yeah. But I just wanted to shout out those because we had a pretty busy uh, Halloween season. Mm-hmm. Um, we got we got plenty of stuff to to catch up on. But uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? Because this is this is a buddy of yours, I believe.
0: Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, it was a former coworker of mine name's Jorge Suarez. He's a director, filmmaker. He was the main editor on some of the shows that I worked on. So, uh yeah, we were we were really cool. We had some good times hanging out.
2: Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Yeah.
0: It's good to have you, man. Yeah. It's too a,
2: God G4 like uh, was was just a flash in the pan, huh? Just for just for a moment.
0: <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah, it was like it felt longer though. It was like a year. Hardcore. my life yeah just wouldn't recommend being fired on twitter uh, on a <laughs> yeah. sunday. well hey, don't yeah, worry on a sunday, on a yeah. sunday. Yeah. soon yeah. soon yeah. there may yeah. not
1: be a twitter so
0: yeah there may not be a twitter. Yeah. you know i was at yeah, I was at yeah i was at church too I was like worshiping wow. on the lord's day you know so that was pretty the lightning true. coming down yeah i was pretty fucked up nice yeah that sucks man yeah, it the, the internet, the internet's just,
1: just 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 diving off the deep end. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jorge, are, you're not diving off the deep end though. You're you're making moves. You tell us a little bit about yourself. I don't know. I only know you a little bit from mm-hmm. the preemptive yeah. uh, material How gene. You? Yeah, form, you did yeah. the oh. minimal amount of research that you could possibly. Do. Yeah, that's ex- exactly. <laughs> you, you, you fit right in here. You don't, right need here. You you don't guess... need the
0: homework when it comes to me. Oh, you uh, had my birthday. You guys were on my <laughs> birthday. There you go. I was getting drunk.
1: They, some people remember your birthday. I think it's me and Jorge, and then everyone else not so much. Yeah, yeah well, like
2: I Ubered out of there, so I don't know. What <laughs> uh, no, man. I, uh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm a filmmaker. I'm, uh, I'm out here in Los Angeles, you know, doing the thing, and um, it's been really great. We're, uh, we've been pretty, pretty busy with our. We're picking up some momentum on our series called The Line. Uh, this is a project I developed with a few co-writers, a couple of co-writers, a writing team, uh, Heather Wooden and, and uh, Megan McConnell. And uh, we've been, you know, it, it was tough because we we conceived this idea so, so long ago to, and, and, and it was, you know, the pandemic had just kind of like brought everything to a screeching halt so it's weird that like right now is when we're getting all this momentum because it's actually like we shot it before the pandemic happened right before um so it's uh, it's been really nice to kind of see it get its due and and people are finally seeing it and the festivals are now open but but basically what we did was we produced the pilot episode to the series um which you know is something that you don't have to do in this business um you know you get away with like a trailer and um, or or a pitch deck or something like that. That's where you know most of the uh, the industry resonating. But um, I, I like to make shit. I don't like <laughs> I don't like making partial things. Uh, I don't like uh, you know kind of having half complete work. So I was like, all right, we can at least take a little portion of this thing. That's a bigger story, a bigger arc. And uh, and we can produce it ourselves, so that's what we did. We went and produced it, and we have a 48 minute pilot, and mm-hmm. um, we're super super stoked about it. We're very proud of it, and uh, we had a, a really interesting week at AFM with it, and um, it's been it's just been really great, man. It's a uh, it's a very very pleasant upturn. I'm happy to to report.
1: Nice. and uh, yeah, for the, for those uh, that don't know, uh, AFM is the American Film Market. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that like we've got like a, a list of topics we want yeah. to talk about yeah, with you man. but yeah i mean let's just jump right into that i got all the time you guys
2: got all right uh, look, I can <laughs> say, look i'm not the one editing this down
1: so <laughs> no, that's no. not me either <laughs> that's not me either ah it's um, fine yeah. we're, we're going crazy don't worry about it
2: yeah uh so afm yeah that's it's a it's become a really big a big popular film market um it's one of the biggest in the country it's one of the biggest on the planet Um, but uh, you know, amongst others, but uh, it's really a place where uh, independents and buyers, just basically anybody who's in the film industry can go. But I I, I noticed that there was a, there's particularly an independent thing going on here because a lot of the bigger studios already have a lot of their outlets and, and they have those deals already worked out. But this is a really great place for creators and buyers, exhibitors, everybody who's kind of involved on that level uh can come and sell product and create deals and you know it it's important it's an important yearly thing to to the independent film scene the highly marketable one at least you know the commercial you don't think about it as independent but they're not they're not like big studio movies either you know what I mean they're like yeah mm-hmm. they're like you know uh, what we, we used to call straight to DVD right <laughs> <laughs> now it's like yeah. straight to streaming now it's straight to streaming which i yeah. which is weird because we'd all happily accept that whereas straight to dvd i think used to have kind of a negative connotation yeah
0: yeah it was always like a lot of off-brand sequels you know yeah
2: like, there were, it was usually a, like a pc way of saying bad
0: movie yeah uh, i don't know i'm trying to think of like a good straight to dvd still waiting no no uh, there there's they're still playing yeah, you know I, yeah
2: what's the uh, uh, equilibrium I think oh. in the straight to DVD with Christian mm. Bale. That's that mm-hmm. movie's fire. I love yeah. that.
1: Movie. No, I, 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 will go to bat for not just because uh, we have a friend of the show who's who's big in the direct to video, uh, uh, director space, but like there, there's been some like amazing low budget action yeah. movies where it's totally. like you know you can see they don't have time to like do crazy setups, but it's like you got talented martial artists who can like shoot yeah. stuff really quickly. They know the choreography. Yeah. Like, there's plenty <laughs> out there. It's yeah, just uh, yeah.
2: There's tons for sure, and let's not forget James Cameron got to start oh, yeah. some pretty, uh, pretty B-level <laughs> horror things. So yeah,
1: We're on too yeah, We're on he, on which he was fired from like immediately, but he's still credited, yeah. which is so funny. But
0: he's, he's just he's just a crazy person. It's not his fault.
1: No, no, he was dealing with uh, crazy Italian producers who oh, hated man. him. That's he got out crazy at the start of his oh, career, damn. and then he was like never again. <laughs> And then he almost oh, kills cool. at Harris, but anyways. Yeah. Almost, killed cool. almost killed him. he Almost no killed him. Cool. He almost no. yeah, no killed him in the Abyss.
2: No. Yeah, that almost killed him in the
0: Abyss. <laughs> I love that movie. Oh, yeah, movie. it's a great
1: movie. He's a great director. If yeah.
0: I was gonna die, almost die, I think like making the abyss would be fine too, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah, Make that it. would be a great way to go.
0: Yeah. For that movie. But yeah, I don't yeah, there um I was trying to I was trying to bring up like Good straight to DVD sequels. Can't think of
1: any. Yeah, Beyond Skyline. We got Skyline. out our, okay. our boy Liam O'Donnell. Right. Beyond Skyline. Skylines. Those are just his movies. I got oh, Here you go. We're gonna talk about what we've been watching recently. Mm-hmm. That's usually how yeah. we lean into this conversation. But but Jorge yeah. just dove right in, and which I am appreciative of. So we can just ignore You're the awesome. small talk. Now we're just now we're just best friends. But um the issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah the uh. The Child's Play and Chucky sequels. There, there's two yeah. direct to video ones. I like mm-hmm. those a lot. I think they're yeah. incredibly underrated. And I just started the Child's or the Chucky TV show. Mm-hmm. I saw the first yeah, episode. The
2: Chucky TV show, but uh, I, I was a, I, I was always fond of the Chucky movies uh, when I was younger. I, we used to, we used to terrify one of my younger cousins. Yeah. Oh. Uh, with like the Chucky movie, and he Chucky used to freak him out, so he developed a bit of a psychological social issue as a result. But yeah,
0: <laughs> that's
1: not for this show, right? Yeah, no, no. You no. Can. I mean,
0: if you want to, if you want to say it, you can. No,
1: I, I. So when Jean and I had our, our separate episodes because we couldn't match up our schedules, right. one of the people I interviewed was a therapist. So I was like, I'll, I'll bring her back, and we'll just we'll parse that out later, you know, because that's. <laughs> That's huge. Um, but any, that. long story short, I would recommend the Chucky TV show. If you like the movies, okay. yeah. like all the way through, like I do, I'm a huge Child's Play Chucky How much fan. How does
2: it lean into the nostalgia of the original series? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the first two episodes have no references other than Charles Lee Ray is in the body of a doll. Okay. And okay. is starting to kill people again. Okay. So pretty, it's, it's pretty standalone so yeah, far. It
2: works for Prey. It can work for, for Child's Play.
1: Yep, yep. Yeah, big prey fans here too. So yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah, loved it. It was good. So, you know what I just saw
2: was uh-huh. uh, finally. I was actually wanting to catch this in the theaters, and I never got around to it. It was Barbarian.
0: Oh, I love that one. I thought it was you terrific.
2: Think? Oh, I thought it was terrific. It was yeah. and it's like it's really interesting because I'm starting to see this 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 where it's like a pattern. It's like a wave, right? Of like you know some horror t- tends to be such a trend-setting genre uh, because it's so connected to, it has such a deep like grassroots connections, you know, like everyone loves horror films on some level. It just depends kind of, I mean, even if you hate them, you know about them and, yeah. and to hear, it's like, I don't know, there's something about that kind of like under the radar culture that always seems to perpetuate the, uh, the horror films. But I'm noticing that horror is having this really great kind of like low budget, uptick again like there's something about those really grounded low budget uh horror films that are permeating the mainstream and they are like becoming the big thing and now smile is doing incredibly uh, which oh, yeah. i haven't seen yet but i like hearing that these small movies you know smaller movies um are doing really well That that not everything has to be a 250 million dollar you know summer temple so it's, it's, I think it's good news. It's it's good for all of us. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. The smaller guys that aren't getting, getting the, yeah. the big money. All, yeah.
0: all the comic book movies will, like, swallow up the theaters. Well, look, if it's up
2: to me, comic book movies will soon be... Not because I hate comic book movies. I'm just <laughs> not in the evolution the evolution of, you know, the, the mainstream. Yeah, uh, If it's up to me, it, it, comic book movies will get replaced by video game adaptations
1: oh there you go <laughs> that that would be that would be cool yeah i mean we gene and i have definitely we talked have to about, make that one
2: we have to yeah. make video game adaptations needs to have their iron man you know what yeah. i mean that yeah. one movie that is just looks so fun that it appeals to people who have never really appreciated the comics or anything too, too many mm-hmm.
1: too
0: many stinkers
1: there are, there are a lot of stinkers. There's yeah. some I definitely there's like. a lot of stinkers, bro. <laughs> there's stinkers. More than time yet? <laughs> I, I, there right, definitely wait. some um uh, video game adaptations I'll go to bat for. Warcraft. I think there's one. Warcraft. At, I like Warcraft. I, I, yeah. I can get people I being saw like. saw it, but wasn't that Gareth Edwards who
2: did that? No, or?
0: it was David oh. Bowie's son.
2: Yeah, David oh, yeah. Bowie's son, which I always think is Gareth <laughs> Edwards. No. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I always get those two mixed up.
0: Yeah, no one's seen no one's seen Gareth Edwards in like five years, you know, he's
2: the dude that did Moon, which I thought was fantastic.
1: Yeah. Duncan yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. Duncan Jones. That's his mm-hmm. name. That's, yeah, I mean,
1: yeah you can see you, you can see Warcraft like, oh, he he clearly wanted it to be like
0: mm-hmm.
1: better. And he, he yeah. spoke very openly about this at a Q&A I went to a year after the movie's release. He was still yeah. like proud of it, but like openly said, like. When you're fighting between essentially two studios and playing mediator and having to direct a movie because, you know, it's Blizzard and Universal. And they're like, yeah, we want this. No, make it more like the game. Make it more like this. And he's like, I have a story we agreed on. What happened, <laughs> Everyone mm-hmm. like he, it was like a, an insurmountable mm-hmm. task. It sounded like. Also, and then, yeah, it, it was a first big like, budget movie, too. Yeah.
0: Also, I think his dad died probably during that process, too. Oh, he, shit. Probably. He, uh, yeah. his his
1: Yeah, that's right. Shoot. Yeah. Dang. So, Um, yeah, and then when you watch it with that too, like, yeah, it's also a movie about like fathers and sons and Mm -hmm. stuff like, like very explicitly about that. Yeah. So it's, I got a soft spot for for that, you know. Um, but the movie I was gonna reference and I actually think holds weight, like as a good movie, I can fight for it, is the Silent Hill adaptation. I think that Silent Hill movie is really cool,
2: and it's actually garnered a bit more of uh, of a cult following. (laughs) yeah uh, it's gotten more popular with age. i've seen it it's great uh it and it, it has its own thing going on and i think that maybe initially it wasn't well received because well maybe because the game itself had already like a very niche yeah. following um mm-hmm. and it, and people didn't really kind of know what what to think of it but when you kind of separate the game from the movie it's actually it's pretty great like I'm not saying that it's not it, it doesn't do a good job of of covering it, but it is it does a it's a, just a good movie on its own. You don't have to know much about this the uh, the game franchise. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah I think so too. We need I we need a bad, good bad. we need a good Bioshock adaptation. Oh no, well, let's see. And and look, I think uh,
2: I think what we're we're into here pretty soon the HBO uh, adaptation of. Uh, uh, the Last of Us should be so and I got High Hopes uh, well and let's see I think there may be some there could be a couple of couple of misses um, we'll see but uh, like Twisted Metal is coming soon oh yeah uh, that should be pretty interesting isn't that That'll...
1: crazy yeah, yeah that, like, that's um, wild that seems more like a movie games, to me
2: of all the games to well I guess you know you could kind of make the case that oh it's like Death Race 2000 you
0: know what I mean yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. but, yeah. Uh, I don't but, remember the story for Twisted Metal. I just remember. just like Well, they, like each character, it's kind of like Street Fighter. Every
2: character has kind of their own story, but whatever, man, I mean, <laughs> yeah. let's, just, let's just hope that let's just hope that they do a good job and okay. then we get it because I got to tell you guys, one of the best video game movies of all time is incredibly old now. It's called The Wizard and it had Fred Savage in it and that man. was fucking awesome.
0: Like you is that, I've movie. never seen it. Me
2: I'm telling you right now that that is still in contention for best video game movie of all time.
1: All right. It's called The Wizard. I'm writing this down right now. <laughs>
2: oh, my God. How am I teaching both of you guys about yeah. The Wizard right now? No, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, was, but, it, was uh, it in the 80s? Because I was in Borneo? Uh, late 80s. No. Uh, when, did, when did Super Mario 3 come out? 1991? Uh, 91. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it would have been like early, early 90s. I was in Borneo. Go watch, it and you're going to be pissed because you're going to be like, "Okay, oh shit, we actually haven't made a better video game movie than this."
0: All right, I'll take that into consideration.
1: <laughs> uh, I want to double back to the horror conversation just really quickly because um, we don't we don't have to get into it, Gene. But you know, there's been some some life changes going on, and um, you and I were having a, a very candid conversation off off the podcast about like. Like, fuck, it feels like a lot of stuff's kind of shifting in various sides of the entertainment industry, not just mm-hmm. film, but video games, obviously, and stuff like that. Right. And I was like, I just fucking shoot something, like, like, now, you know, like, let's just pump something out. I, I spitballed an idea I had for a short film that oh. hopefully we could get going soon. Um, and so it's just really great to hear, Jorge, that, like, there's uh, there are people interested in, like, lower budget stuff you know not stuff that's that's a little more like uh rickety and ramshackle but still yeah, like
2: look i think there's a real easy way of saying it mm-hmm. independent films will always have way bigger balls than the commercial sector like always there's no way they they the the commercial interests the big corporate interests the studios i'm not a hater at all i mean i love like maverick was one of my favorite movies of the year that's so good um and uh so I'm not I'm more artist centric. I think about who's really behind the project, but 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 they just can't take the risks that independent film can. And, you know, sometimes that comes with, you know, some major polarities. Sometimes it means that there's going to be some really terrible shit that gets made. But then sometimes there's going to be really incredible things that kind of redefine either genres or, or, or the market or landscape or something like that. And so I'm I've realized now, especially after the pandemic and watching kind of what's happened with independent film, um, it's not really going anywhere but it will always continue unfortunately and hopefully less so moving into the future but it's just such a royal pain in the ass to try and survive it, you know what I mean? And so that's where the challenge is. It's almost not, will the product eventually be good? Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of really bad stuff out there but there's also some really incredible things that compete in terms of quality with, you know, their big budget counterparts. So I've got, I've got a ton, I've got a ton of, of hope, um, for, for, for indie filmmaking. It's just kind of like, you know, what are the marketing challenges going to be in the future? And then, you know, what's, what's the actual financial landscape going to be for it in the future? I think streaming is going to really help. Um, but, uh, but I don't think independent cinema itself is really going anywhere.
1: No, thanks for that. Yeah. Cause like yeah. that, we we always have conversations about theaters and stuff like that. And um, you know, like for better or worse, whatever, like it does sound like streaming is going to help at least like buoy kind of like yeah. the, uh, uh, people's ability to find stuff, you know, mm-hmm. cause people are always finding stuff like, uh like even like 10 years after it's released, people are like, Hey, what have you seen this movie with like so-and-so? Oh, yeah. what, it went to theaters? What? It's not a new movie, and then like someone falls in love with it or whatever, yeah. you know. It's yeah. always like like uh, again to, to reference uh, a friend of the show, Liam O'Donnell, like Beyond Skyline and Skylines. We're both in like Netflix top 10 for yeah. like weeks. Yeah. And uh those are those movies are several years old now. Yeah. But people just discover them and they're like, Oh, I like this. It's like, you, you never, you never know how someone finds something,
2: right? You know? And in that spirit, we actually need to do a better job of getting older mm-hmm. films cataloged and like put made available um, on streaming services. That you know, it's going to be tough because then it becomes kind of a niche streaming service that like class that, that specializes in like older films. Yeah. But, but it would be really great if some of like the bigger players just regularly kept the catalog of classic films. Um, yeah. That you could kind of discover because there's so many great ones. And I know they're they're still so incredibly like responsible for, for inspiring new artists and everything, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
2: I don't there... think you can watch Killer's Kiss or The Killing, you know, either one, probably The Killing is like yeah. one of my favorites. But I think that if you're interested in film and you watch one of the earliest kind of versions of a popcorn movie, just a straight entertainment based like heist movie it's so great and like that i can only imagine what that would be like for you know later generations of filmmakers to be able to to still find an experience like easily
1: yeah yeah uh, i'm yeah. glad you you brought that up too gene and i have also talked about that a lot so this you, you fit in perfectly here is what i'm saying because that's that's Thanks. a big uh, more big
2: movie nerds <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. Pretty much.
1: Um, but no, like uh, I, I, I think the killing's super underrated Stanley Kubrick movie. By the way, well, so thank you for bringing so that fun. one. Up. It is yeah.
2: so fun. Like what a great, what a great popcorn movie that was. It's just a fun heist flick
0: yeah, yeah it's, and it's it's the I think, original reservoir dogs
2: yeah right <laughs> yeah and it's on that level like honestly I, I i don't even bat an eye at that statement that's very true it's on that level and it was and it was still like told in a really interesting way and the story unfolding was still very interesting it's dude, it holds up absolutely. Yeah, and
1: i think there's there's this weird air of um I think people call it pretentious when you watch, like, foreign films or older films. But I find it much more pretentious if people That's don't go seek thing. that stuff out. Yeah. Y- y- you know, it's like, I. and again, this is nothing against, like, the, the blockbuster stuff. Like, yeah. I fucking talk about the Batman that came out this year all the time because <laughs> love I loved it. Yeah. But, I you know, it. like, there, I think when people go back and watch the older stuff, they're kind of surprised that it's not, like, stuffy and all prim and proper. Yeah. It's, like, fucking, some like it hot. I find that shit. There was tons of it yeah 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 you know there's and there's some stuff really like that now stuff. too yeah but then you watch something like some like it hot and it's just like this is yeah. fucking hysterical incredible. like it's incredible you know? uh, yeah a
2: lot of those directors are still singular in my mind um mm-hmm. uh, you know uh billy wilder i mean i remember seeing ace in the hole for the first time and having that blow my effing mind i was like what the hell like how long has this movie been out and it's so, it's, it, it does, it basically follows the conventions of filmmaking, you know, e- even on a commercial level, better than some of the movies we have today. I mean, it's, it's, it it's just an older medium and it's in black and white, but the storytelling is just as captivating as any American film that gets made today. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, yeah. other countries make their films in different ways, but, um, uh, you know, as far as American filmmakers and American films go, the classics still bringing it in ways that are challenging to even today's filmmakers, for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah well said. Um, dialing back a little bit to talk about you some more. How did you get started? Like, when did you realize, like, oh, I want to make movies when I, I'm going to do this well, for the rest of my life?
2: You know, what's funny is I actually fell in love with it before I realized it was something I could spend my life doing. Um, like as a kid, I, I really loved, there was some, there was a straight to, to TV, like a, like a cable movie, almost like an after school special movie that I fell in love with, uh, uh, called, it wasn't, it wasn't the, uh, Outsiders. I'm gonna have to remember that. I haven't hmm. thought about this in a long time, but like, uh, it was this, it was, it was a really, I wouldn't rewatch it and it says, you know, it's like really cheap and crappy, but it connected <laughs> with me. On on a on a on a way that I was so stoked about it. It was you know about kids that were like creating a bit of a gang. It was like a low budget. It was like the poor man's outsiders, um, <laughs> nice. and and uh, and so I I kind of like was drawn to movies. I I, I remember going to the theater as a kid and seeing um, if you've never seen an action movie called Toy Soldiers. I saw that I was fairly young and I saw it in the theater and it and it. Man, I remember it being one of the earlier experiences I had with like having my heart ripped out and like going on like a cinematic experience um, with characters and really being drawn into the story and kind of understanding it was simple, right? It was just, it's just this. If you'd, have you guys ever, have either of you guys seen it?
1: No, Close I have up. not.
2: Damn it. You must have watched it. got Sean Aston in it and uh, he's oh, okay. young, obviously. Uh, Louis Gossett Jr.'s in it. And it's great, and it's basically just about terrorists who take over the school and the students inside trying to get out and escape. It's, oh, it's very basic, but it's it's one of those classic early '90s, late '80s action movies mm-hmm. where like we have a 30 minute first act. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like you really fall in love with the characters. And um, anyhow, all that to say, I fell in love with movies like that, Courage Mountain. You know, early Charlie Sheen stuff like that. That's like. These are some of the movies I remember experiencing at a really young age. And I think the one that really kind of hit it out of the park for me was Tim Burton's Batman. And I saw that in theater. I I knew at that point, like, that I was gonna be in love with cinema on some level. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I saw, I I was lucky enough to go and get a chance to see a matinee screening of The Rocketeer. Oh, I love that one. Ah, Oh, and so, dude, I mean, these were like early comic book movies. This is like, we're doing this Mm -hmm. on a commercial level, but they were doing it on a smaller level then. And I got that early taste and I fell in love with it. But, you know, again, too young to to really know that I could eat. Yeah, I don't know how you made movies. They just were <laughs> like a thing that you that you go and see. Yeah. Uh, and so, but, but then it wasn't probably until I, you know we started really popularizing the back to, or sorry um, the behind the scenes featurettes for movies that were kind of appearing at the end of the VHS era and then into the DVD era. And it was that was kind of like my early film school that gave me that interest to go to uh, to real film school. Uh, and and I had gone to another to a college to like study. God, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I was born in Mexico City, but then my parents moved mm-hmm. us to America, and I uh, I grew up primarily in Seattle. And, uh, and so everyone up there is what at that, in that, in the nineties, what are you doing? You're going to work for Microsoft. You're going to go, work, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. you're, you're going to go work for Boeing or warehouse. You're either going to get into engineering or you're going to get into like computer science. And I tried that stuff and I, I, you know, I didn't know anything about myself at the time. I mean, we're talking about college and it's like, I was still kind of feeling it out and seeing what's up. And, um, and I just did absolute absolutely terribly and, and <laughs> so my brain just did not work that way um you know you remember do you guys remember uh, napster yeah you remember napster yeah it's yeah. a good way
0: to uh you get remember
2: music. when you would like download songs and you could get you could find those few that would just download super fast there was that always that one that was just, <laughs> it would take like a weekend and you're like shit it's still not working like that's how i, I felt compared to every i felt like that song <laughs> Like, I couldn't (laughs) learn this stuff. It wasn't, my brain just wasn't ticking in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, you know, I kind of, I I ended up leaving that school and I just went to community college. At the time it was community college. Now it's a much bigger school. It's called Bellevue College in in Washington State, Mm -hmm. uh, in Seattle. And uh, I did their film program there. And it was... It was incredible. I, I think it, I, a lot of this was catalyzed specifically by like the uh, the um, the making of featurettes for Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. So good, uh, and but it, but they went so in depth in that series mm-hmm. of behind the scenes stuff. So it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. It was so in depth that you could really experience the whole thing in this kind of microcosm of of this documentary. Um, and it was it was incredible. So I tried film school out. I fell in love with it. I, I felt like I it was. You know how sometimes you just kind of are, are naturally able to do something? It just kind of clicks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is how I felt when I went to film school. It, there was still obviously tons for me to learn. And I, you know, I was bad, just like everybody. Uh, I'd like to believe I'm not as bad anymore. Uh, but it, yeah. uh, uh, but but I but, but, it, but there was something about it that really felt like it clicked in ways that these other topics that I was studying just weren't. Um, and that was really like when I was like, okay, that's when I made the hard commitment. Like, this is something I want. This is what I want to do with my life. This is how I identify. Like, this is, this was the most me I've ever found. And that, you know, that's where it started. I, you know, that's when everything, you know, that's when the nightmare began, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) But it's, uh, you know, it was really moments. What's that? Yeah. yeah, No, no, no. Look. At the end of the day, it, this is actually, I think I think kind of like a small, a short story that I, that kind of encapsulates the overall feeling for me is I, I when I knew I wanted to get into film stuff, when I went through film school, I got a chance to PA on an independent film that was shooting up in Seattle. And I remember our first day, it started at like four in the morning and it went something like 20 hours or something like that. It was a long day. I had never been so exhausted in my life and at the same time had never felt that level of emotional fulfillment. I was like the happiest I'd ever been but I was exhausted physically. And that's because if you think about work and people go, well, I want to get tired. It sounds like tiring work. And you think, well, that's what's going to make a good or bad job. But it's not like there was an, an, a spiritual and emotional fulfillment that I was getting from this as an art form that I wasn't finding in anything else. And that to me was that solidified it for me. No matter how problematic this industry gets, no matter the bullshit that it entails, the business side is terrible. We treat artists like absolute shit. There are endless problems in this industry, but the work itself fulfills me in a way where I just couldn't deny it. And I was like, "All right, I'm going for it." So I made my own. I made my first feature at like you know, God, I was like 21 years old. I, I was I was very lucky to have the uh, uh, the Robert Rodriguez roadmap. And I followed that, um, and and I, but I see. I thought the roadmap also then led to Sundance and getting like repped by a huge agent, and then getting off. That part didn't happen, but <laughs> but I definitely got to make a movie for for you know seven to ten thousand bucks, and it was um, it was a really great experience. I learned a lot. It was um, you know I see it. I see it for a lot of its mistakes. I think that's just like the artist in me. Um, but I do appreciate it for being the firstborn, and, uh, it, um, I got a chance to sell it. It's actually, I think it's still on Amazon. Um, but, uh, but so, you know, you guys don't need to watch (laughs) it. I was was just about to ask. No, no, no. I I think there's a,
1: there's a beauty to like uh, a first attempt, you know? Yes.
0: (laughs) Just got to bring it over. You look pretty close.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it over. I'll bring, I still, and I have some, I have some, so I'll, I'll, that's on my to-do list. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, we'll watch that. But I, you know, the, the, the pilot is much better now. So fast forward, I ended up actually like, once I moved down to Los Angeles to sell uh, The Scratch, which was the first movie, um, I had to just kind of keep cutting my teeth. It was clear that like I still needed to learn a lot. Um, there was still a so lot that I was pretty insecure about. Um, in terms of my own abilities as a director and um, so I started working on all sorts of stuff from reality television to commercials I actually ran my own commercial production company for like 10 years uh, and I basically just like cut my teeth on commercials I did a lot of stuff in the commercial space and um, and not even in like the top tier commercial space because that's its own little industry that you know you have to climb it and it's very difficult to, to do all that and all. but like mid-level commercials were great because they were like you know, it's like short form content that you actually get paid to do. Uh, it's like really, you know, these these uh, these commercials are, you know, a day or two uh, of shooting and like you're, you know, you're you're prepping for like a couple of weeks and then the post is a few weeks. And so it's faster, faster turnaround, you know. Yeah. Um, so I was able to, to sort of really practice on that. And then um, I also was simultaneously working as a writer. I got a chance to work on some really great projects um i was developing with like i actually made a pretty pretty decent headway as a writer i i connected with they're the only studio i haven't worked for i think is universal but i've worked with all the rest and um i got a chance to to work on some really exciting things and i thought it was like okay this is going to be the precursor to you know finally getting to like direct small movies and kind of getting into the system and all that But I was discovering, unfortunately, that I was running across a bunch of barriers that were completely out of my control. Like, I hated that. Because like, when I go out and make the scratch, and there's mistakes, I know I'm the one to blame. And I'm like, what did I do? I can fix that mechanically, I can go in and change it. I can change my approach, I can change my attitude, blah, 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 doesn't matter. The truth. the, The point is, is that I can fix the problem if I analyze it. I couldn't fix these problems. These had nothing to do with me. They were just other things, other issues, other people, the collaboration is massive. You're talking about multi-million dollar projects. It's like, I was pretty close to the low man on the totem pole as a writer. Um, so a lot of stuff would kind of fall apart. And I said, you know, I never got into this business to just write scripts that, that catch a lot of dust. I grew up in this, in the Pacific Northwest and their film and in the, in the indie film industry, it was becoming popular to just do everything yourself. You know, like you have an idea, you're passionate about a film you want to do, you go out and just do it, and you find a way. You get your buddies, you raise a little bit of money. Digital cameras became more popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the technology was getting more and more accessible. It's like you you just started doing everything yourself. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I, I'm gonna I can't take this anymore. I think I had like my fifth, sixth, or seventh project just completely like disintegrate before my eyes or go nowhere after giving it a bunch of time. And I said, I'm going back to my roots and uh, I'm just gonna make, I'm gonna do what I do. I can make things look pretty cool for not a lot of money. That's a gift that I have and I'm grateful for it and I don't wanna hide it. So, uh, so that's what I did. We just took a, a little bit of money. I saved up some, some, some money and we, um, you know, and we, and we got a little bit of extra funding, external funding or, you know, private funding. And uh, we just went into production and shot the 48-minute pilot for my series called The Line. God, wow, I've been talking for a long time. You're going to want to no, no. To no, no, no. No, no, no. This is great. This is great. This is...
1: Introduction. Yeah. It, not just that, but like, you know, Gene and I really wanted to move... Oh, when we started this podcast, we were really... It's like every other movie podcast like here's yeah. the movie news and shit like we would not qualified yeah. to talk about like many yeah. <laughs> and oh, so then it was like the, you... well, we, we have like people in in the world yeah, around it's... us who like have interesting stories we want to hear from them we want to hear more about independent filmmaking especially not just because yeah. we're like trying to do our own thing too but like yeah. it's just no one's covering like this aspect of the world that regularly so it's like yeah please keep talking <laughs> this is what yeah, you're here no. for <laughs> great
2: um so yeah i don't know man it's a it's it's pretty great i designed this project to be low budget capable you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. like when you know you're not going to have a lot of money you can write around that so that's where this came from and i was like you know what i really love movies like magnolia i love pulp fiction i love uh uh you know babel i love a lot of these stories that are they're individual stories that get intertwined and uh so i was like i think that could really serve a good like a good thing for the producer too because that would mean that as a producer i can just go to an actor and go i don't need you for three weeks or four weeks for a whole feature i just need you for like one week to do one episode that's just a chunk of a feature Mm -hmm. um, or you know its own shorter episode and uh and then you're done, you know, like you get away with a lot cheaper things. So that's, that's where, you know, it kind of combine that with some things I wanted to say, personal things as an artist, I just wanted to, to say in terms of the, uh, content and, uh, and that's where the line was born.
0: Can you talk a little bit about any of like the influences? I mean, we talk about like movies, um, any like, um, sort of like when you're directing or storyboarding, any yeah. like, uh film in particular you had like, okay, this is like, this is like the blueprint to like
2: make this. Well, system. I think that you kind of take ingredients from here and there to kind of make your own thing, right? Um, I think that's something that like, I've kind of come, come come to terms with and I've actually had my own insecurities about, which is like, you know, I look at guys like Stanley Kubrick or even like, you know, D.W. Griffith, like the, the founding father of film like that guy didn't really have anybody to watch you know what i mean (laughs) like like he wasn't subscribing to netflix and like yeah you know learned what how it what it actually looked like to properly cover a scene etc um which you know like it's it's not like we're doing it the way they were doing it then but i but i'm like you know sometimes i'm like if i were tasked with that like if i didn't have other filmmakers to watch could i even have thought of this like I don't think so mm-hmm. I mean I needed to fall in love with other movies um to kind of get to this place but uh, uh what were we talking sorry I got off track no, no, no. <laughs> just like yeah any any film in particular oh, like, oh uh, right 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 so so I kind of I kind of find that like um I kind of find that it becomes like an ingredient from here and there like I I personally you know my cinematography style I really love um I love to move the camera. I think camera movement is crucial to being able to kind of speak cinema fluently. Um, I just, it, I, I know it's not necessary. I know there are a lot of filmmakers who actually do it without, but I think my favorite kind of directing re- requires that the frame have some movement to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, you know, in a low budget world, it's expensive to move the camera. It's like you know, if you're gonna lock off a camera and you want it to move through a room, guess what, man? That's like gonna either be a, a dolly with a long dolly track, uh, which comes with its own requirements, so or or cam. you know, with an operator. Of course, these you know these gimbals are now much cheaper and everything, but still, it's an it's an it's an additional tool that you may or may not be able to afford. And I just love to let the camera breathe and be you know in a place in the place that it is. And so I I've really taken to handheld. Quite a bit. Um, I don't mind it. Uh, I think that there's tasteful handheld. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not interested in trying to make the, the audience nauseous, but yeah. I certainly think that there's this kind of energy that comes along inherently with uh, with 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 handheld that I, I really like, and a lot of filmmakers have used it. I'm not anything close to a pioneer of that in any capacity. Um, so I think that it's a proven a proven way to to to, to work. Um, that's one. So. You know Alejandro Inarritu. Obviously, uh, a lot of his really kind of gritty, handheld stuff is like, like you know things like *Babel* or *Morris Barrows, uh, mm-hmm. uh Or wait, was that *Coron*? Uh, uh, no, no, that, no, that was Inarritu. Uh, you know, yeah, 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 that,
1: that was. That was a
2: um, uh, you know things. I just, I, I really, I really love, I really love that look. But on the opposite spectrum, I'm, I'm actually a massive fan of David Fincher's framing. I oh. think that his framing is. Some of my favorite. Um, I, I actually, when I think about framing um, particular shots for coverage or what what have you, it it um, he definitely crosses my mind. I go, how would Fincher shoot this? Because he's got this kind of like effortless cleanliness to all of his framing that's mm-hmm. just so absolutely perfect. It's everything it needs to be and nothing it doesn't. Um, and I just think that's such a masterful job and somebody I'm co- constantly trying to I think I tried channel him, you know, uh, yeah. handheld Fincher. That's that's really what I'm trying. To do. Uh, no, I like
0: I like the combination right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that yeah. was interesting.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's great low budget man. It's, it's like it doesn't cost a lot. You yeah you yourself a really great shooter, a great camera operator and and DP, which we had um, our DP Brent By was incredible. I'm very very proud of the cinematography of this project. Um, I'm a huge camera nut like like i think i love it uh, maybe even too much to a detriment like that's what that's my favorite part right like i love mm-hmm. working with actors but the camera is like i don't know that's like the that's like the fun part
0: yeah you
2: know, it's yeah, like I mean, it's like the chocolate sauce
1: you put on top. you're like, <laughs> you're like telling like most, it's like telling oh this is a treat <laughs> uh <laughs> do you have a a a preferred camera that you you use for Any of your projects or anything you look for? No,
2: man. Honestly, as an independent, I think that, you know, I'm not even going to pretend that I get to create things as often as I want. Oftentimes, by the time I get around to actually being able to either raise funds or or get a project together that I'm really passionate about doing, technology's changed. Um, And there's new things that are um, available. And uh, so, man, you know, I really can't wait for you to see this. I know, Gene, you're going to be at the screening. Um, I want you to see this because this camera that we shot this movie on, which I have not had a single, per- if anything, everyone's always just constantly gushed about the, the cinematography, and this, this is a five thousand dollar body camera. It's not an expensive camera. We shot it on um, on the Ursa, the Ursa Mini, four point six K. Uh, Blackmagic camera, um, you know, it has gone through its own evolution of issues and everything. Blackmagic has been dealing quite a bit with their, their own um, Cine chip and, and, and everything that, that can kind of has been problematic with it. And they've done a good job, man. I gotta take, I gotta, I gotta take my hat off to them, they, they, uh, they've done it. Um, I was really concerned with some of their early stuff and a lot of their pattern noise that they had and, and the low levels and the blacks were super muddy and kind of not really there. Mm -hmm. Um, but they really fixed it. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, there's a lot more than just the camera to the, when it comes to the image you're creating, there's a lot more. Um, Everything from, you know, lighting to ambience, to filtration, where the light, you know, where the sun is or or not, you know, uh, your exposure, there's so much that goes into it that is outside, just, you know, how pretty of a chip can this camera, uh, you know, create uh, or image does does the, sorry, the camera's chip uh, create an image. And it's not, you know, I, I would never dare kind of give blind allegiance to any one camera because as you go from story to story you might have a different texture in mind for that story and different cameras are gonna create different textures. So um, that was, a, we had a lot of fun creating what I think is a really interesting texture for this for the series, and I, I want to keep working with it. But man, it's it was so cheap to to shoot this. Nice. We
1: like,
2: should have been able to do it. Like I think images of this quality, even a decade ago, were you know five times more expensive. When it, when you're talking about the camera, you're like maybe the Red One when it first came out, and that was I want to say like 20-ish, twenty ish, twenty thousand ish. It's a lot. Yeah. So you're talking about four times the cost. And that was on, you know, Red Camera is supposed to be a a cheap, low-budget, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, solution to to, to indie filmmaking.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when those cameras, like, were, were getting popular, it was right when I was starting to get, like, really into behind-the-scenes stuff. And, like, oh, shit, I think I want to, like, actually make stuff, you know, with my hands, yeah. not just watch it. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I remember, like, oh, this is supposed to be, like, the consumer-friendly one of all these yeah, cameras. Man. And then I was like, oh, it's, like, $50,000. I'm like, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, but I we uh, no, that's not. It's not quite.
2: Yeah, and that uh, good, and by super the friendly. Way, that's what,
1: yeah, well, like fifty thousand, and
2: that, like some of their newer camera, uh, the red, the red bodies were like, yeah, those were upwards of fifty thousand. By the time you finish putting all the peripherals on it, and mm-hmm. you got yourself to sell lenses, you're talking about, you know, pretty close to a hundred grand. I mean, that's you
1: know, that's not. I don't, it's
2: like that's I don't not that accessible funny. either, man. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. The, uh, the the Black Magics. I I'm not accustomed to. I'm just familiar with like the name, and I I'm familiar with some other uh independent filmmakers that have been uh like they'll they'll share test footage of it and stuff like that, and just like the capabilities of of like it's not the latitude and editing is, is yeah. absurd. Let me tell you. I uh, so I was a I was a hard
2: ass about this because my right. it was my cinematographer who bought who believed in this camera and he bought it. And, you know, of course I trust him, but it's my movie, dude. I'm going to have to be a bit of a stickler. Yeah. So I made him jump through the hoops, man. I really did. Like, you know, we went into a camera house and we put that camera, we tested it. We did camera tests, um, next to, uh, an Alexa mini. And, um, It was another camera, I forget what it was, but it didn't even come close. But the Alexa Mm -hmm. Mini we were really interested in, because that was kind of a new, I think they had just come out with a new iteration of it. And so we were like kind of really interested in working with that. But it was like, you know, two or three times the price. Uh, The body for an Alexa Mini was I think something like $50,000. But we weren't really, I'm talking about even in rental because we weren't really gonna like purchase one, we're just gonna rent it. Mm So it was just a lot. It would have been like ten thousand extra dollars, which would have been a really serious chunk of our budget. Um, and uh, and I, and so we did side by side comparisons. They were cool over at Keslo Camera. We went over there and and uh, and and did like a test. And I'll tell you what, man, the the images created by the the Alexa Mini were really pretty. Um, and and even if you were to argue, oh, it's just a little bit better. Which you know, could it was so close that it could have been subjective.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It was not a difference that would have justified the, the extra ten thousand bucks. The ten, you know, look if you've got millions of dollars, ten grand is nothing. But but that's like a sizable portion of our of our budget. Ten grand is like a big difference. Um, you know, that's like a big that's like a big stun. I could put a big stun on screen for ten thousand dollars. It's going to make a difference. So, um, I was really impressed, man. I was really impressed by this camera.
0: gonna have to like look, look into that for the
1: next film
0: yeah like, i would suggest it i
1: don't yeah, know about no. like buying it
0: though
1: you don't need to you could rent it okay yeah you could rent there there's a uh a black magic right pocket cinema camera yeah. the the 6k one it's yeah. like two thousand bucks now i was kind of like i was looking at that this week and i was like bro i've that, worked I, I don't know i worked with that camera and I can
2: tell you, you know, again, it depends on how much how much you want to build it out to. You can get peripherals for, so you can get like support rods and a mat box and everything, so that you can get, you can use more of those tools to really help craft an image for you, you know, to tell your story. Um, so you can really kind of cinema it out, right? It's like two grand. It's like that gets you in the door. Um, but but even then, I mean, if you're talking about a two thousand dollar base, by the time you're building it out, I mean, even if it's ten grand, you get yourself a sweet little cine kit that's fairly easy to operate with a low amount of people, and you can really produce something for for a low budget.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little
1: bit. Yeah, I, you got to um, get lights and all that shit, and some yeah, has that work
0: it. yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's, so that's the yeah, way. Like,
1: right. Yeah, and like. It's good that you brought that up because, like, I, I think it's safe to say Gene and I are also pretty open about, like, it doesn't matter what you shoot with as long as you know it's yeah. like you're doing, you know? Yeah. like uh, And I would love to shoot something on a phone. Like, like I think horror stuff looks good when it's kind of down and dirty. Not, not across the board, right? Yeah. Not everything needs to look like the no. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I do <laughs> love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre um mm-hmm. but like uh, i love these like iphone short it films on the... 16
2: mil or something didn't they yeah mil? yeah uh, yeah like it looks uh, it's got like... a good look man by today's <laughs> standards it's an interesting
0: texture we don't normally see
1: yeah yeah you know yeah because
0: it, it looks like it's it looks real like it's like it was like the
1: it's it's so light it feels Blair like Witch. you found you found a snuff <laughs> stone made by the family in the film that's <laughs> what that looks yeah. like yeah. Uh, but I I, I love the, like the when Apple does like the new phones and, and they're like, oh, this is the cinema capabilities of this camera. Cool. And they'll hire like a professional filmmaker to use it. And it clearly spent like a million dollars on the commercial, though. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like, that's yeah. why it looks that good, you know, yeah. and I'm I'm pro people just going out and making shit, whatever. We're talking about all these different angles yeah. and stuff like that. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. But it's clear that on those commercials, it's like, oh, no, you're working with like, like, I think uh Chivo uh shot something for like one of the new iphones and it it looks like one oh yeah i remember oh yeah that's like one of
2: the john wick guys did that oh yeah one of the john wick guys did that yeah i uh i'm all for it man i'm uh i think you know look a a lot of how you do what we do it's you just go out and fucking make shit that's it that's the only it doesn't matter however if, if we're all walking around with little cameras in our pockets now that are like 4K, it's like, great, that's a tool to get started. I think it's totally normal and I, I wish it was a bigger part of the conversation to feel like you can outgrow that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, you know, Gene, Gene we spent some time in, in post-production. It's like, yeah, you can start an iMovie, but at some point you may want to graduate to something a little more serious. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that you know like that's just that's just but I, I i wish that wasn't seen as like a negative thing because people are like oh you you have a you have an iphone and there's nothing holding you back it's like all right man well look <laughs> the camera just kind of gets the conversation started there's yeah. a lot more that goes into it. it is a challenging thing so i'm not going to even sit here and say like you have no excuse but but it's certainly nice to to know that we have such readily available uh technology now that you can create a pretty decent look with mm-hmm. something as simple as your pocket computer, you know.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. you're like, listen here, motherfucker. <laughs> you
2: know? I love I love him, but I get I, I I'm telling you, I'm too much of a nut when it comes to cinematography. Like, like I was even I I wanted to shoot on film so badly. I made my first film on Super 16, um, and that was right when like HD was starting to take off. But it was like that Sony high definition, that kind of like low, uh, that kind of uh, flat, uh. like. It didn't really, it's uh, like
0: 28 days later.
2: Yeah, which by the way is a great movie and yes. it, yeah, it brilliant, but it, it almost like he was able to harness the look of an XL one, mm-hmm. make it like part of, of the adoration of the movie. It's kind of part of its charm, which you can only really do when you're like an incredible filmmaker. Um, I'm gonna blank on his name. Andy Danny Boyle. Danny, Danny Boyle, Boyle. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'll say Andy. Danny Boyle. No, they're rhymes. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, close. it's great.
2: They both sound like
0: white dudes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, mad. So mad he didn't do a Bond
1: movie. Yeah. I almost yeah. did the last one. Oh yeah, that's right, huh? But the well, guy he might
2: an incredible filmography, you know.
1: Yeah, well, he he's uh he's talking up twenty eight years later now because, years. because it oh, might actually no. be twenty eight oh, years later. So yeah,
0: yeah, like 2031. There we go. Yeah, that's Nine right. years. Anything's Hopefully, possible. It yeah, gets made. I never saw twenty eight uh, weeks later.
2: I saw I, that. It was
1: okay. Yeah, There's I I like that one, but it's it's not twenty eight days later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know,
2: twenty days later really was was fantastic. It was singular.
1: Yeah, yeah, and again, like like you guys mentioned, like the look of that movie, like it. I don't want everything to look like that. It's perfect for what that movie does. Yeah. And then when perfect. they finally switch to thirty five millimeter for the final scene, when everything's elated, it's like you feel the relief that you're not looking yeah. at like a a disgusting image anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's big, yeah.
2: Kind of digital look, yeah, for
1: sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then just like, I just have to shout this out because everyone who listens to this podcast knows, but like, I love Michael Mann and like yeah. that dude, like just pushed the fucking digital medium into like uncharted territory. And at the time, Same. you know, everyone was like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm.
2: So, it's so funny though, because like he, he made public, what is it? Public Enemy? Public Enemies, like, yeah, And he shot that digital, but like I feel like by then we had already started moving into some pretty capable like city, like digital Cine cameras. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it was like, he was still using like the first Sony cameras and like there was some shit, that, there was like a shootout sequence with Johnny Depp and it just feels, it looks like a, like the behind the scenes footage. Like they actually cut together the behind the scenes camera shooting yeah. and stuff. It looked so bad. I was like, but 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 I still, yeah, I love his stuff. and. I mean, I mean, Collateral. I don't know if you won the last time you, you watched that, but it's still, fairly
0: fairly recent. I love that one.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I watch Collateral like an embarrassing amount of times. That's yeah, that's one of my great. favorite movies for sure.
0: I think I think that's my favorite of his. To be honest with you, uh, I think hmm,
2: that's a i i i think I'm still a uh, heat guy. I think he oh, did, okay. like the opus. Yeah. Um, but uh but collateral is such an interesting you know it's such an interesting kind of one of those like contained phone booth-esque uh uh kind of like thrillers that are so it's like just a small cast but it's all story Mm -hmm. uh and
0: tom cruise is like out of control and he's so yeah yeah he's against type yeah Yeah. you know, you forget Tom Cruise could act because he's just in so much. I don't think like that man.
2: Look, I know he's I hear he's a nutbag. I've never met him oh. in person, but my yeah. god, dude, I respect him as a filmmaker. I really do. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he does some he's he does some shit. I
0: think he I when he says I love making movies, I believe that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he's like off the side of a plane, you know, hanging and doing a promo. But even that, like he
2: will do he will do things like hang off the side of a plane. Yeah. And then he'll do like Born on the Fourth of July, uh-huh. you know, and like basically turn in an Oscar award winning performance that will never be forgotten.
0: I mean, yeah.
2: It's incredible. Magnolia. What the hell, dude? He like cleans up, he steals the whole movie, and he's up what? against an
0: epic cast of actors. Yeah. What an insane person.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, I'm really interested for when he, like, can't physically do Mission Impossibles anymore. Oh, I yeah, see, does like... he slide into, like, a character role well, again? Like, I don't know. Hits, I
2: know that he'll have given it everything he absolutely Yeah, did. That's my thought, man. Maybe... That's, like, I respect
0: the dude. Yeah, maybe he'll, like, direct or something. I don't know.
2: I think he should. I yeah. kind of get the feeling he does anyways. Yeah, yeah a little bit. <laughs> it's like, like yeah. he's not the, the name director, Like I bet you, Chris McQuarrie would be like, "Oh no, yeah." To a big degree, these are Tom scenes, you know. Yeah,
0: it's kind of like The Rock, but you know, can can act. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, not just all charm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I don't even know charm anymore. So, Black Adam. Yeah, what a
2: change. Maybe we're over it, but I don't know. It did pretty well, didn't it? Black Adam. Yeah,
0: you know, it did. I heard it's trash, but I think it did well. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not. It's not very good it did as well as the rocks team predicted and marketed it to oh. be oh well that can't be that bad then no it's, it's not the, it's not it's not good at all it's, it's kind of
2: well i mean bad. the performance i don't know
0: man. yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah. Not,
2: they don't need me the comic mm. book movies don't need me to defend their ass
0: uh, yeah well i was gonna say because I I mean, I, we go off on tangent so many times in this podcast but my favorite uh tw- tweet of like it was like last month was like The Rock and he was like watching the cut of Black Adam in his like office or whatever. And someone was like, man, the way they staged this photo, the way they're watching this movie, it looks like uh, the war room when Barack Obama was monitoring the situation of Osama bin Laden being assassinated. (laughs) It was like that serious for The Rock that he had to get this movie right. It had to like hit a hundred million. It hey, took him again. 15
1: years to, to finally yeah. get it made yeah like sure. love him or hate
0: him that's uh that's, that's an a commitment, man that's... yeah he just really likes black adam yeah and he really hey likes that someone character. does
1: <laughs> yeah. um yeah sorry. but no, no no it's fine it's fine i'm just trying to find a, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna ask i don't even know how a pivot this Uh what what is the hardest part of actually like getting uh the pilot made for, for the line? Is it like the finding the, the budget? Is it actually like making it? I know we're talking about like set stuff earlier, but yeah. uh, it sounds like that's more positive regardless of the difficulties.
2: No, man, honestly, I, you know, the answer to this question I think is not that exciting because I think this is always the same thing that plagues every filmmaker. It's just finding the resources, getting the money is the toughest, um, you know, The industry is kind of a a thing, Is it's known for for quoting, you know, don't don't spend your own money. Um, And look, man, if you can get by and make something every couple of years on somebody else's dime, fantastic. But that is just not the reality for a lot of us. And I, I personally don't want to use that as an excuse anymore. So, you know, I, I I had to put some skin in the game and, you know, I, I had to fund part of it and, you know, kind of go out and find other parts of it. And so I really kind of had to put my money where my mouth was, but I don't know, I guess really for me, that isn't that, I don't know, man, it, it's weird. Like I it sucks. Everyone's like, Oh, you know, such a big risk that you took, but man, I gotta tell you, I was way more miserable. I would much rather take risks like that than to not make movies ever like that was that was way worse. Sitting around and not being able to do it was so much worse than 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 knowing what you want to do and, and kind of being sidelined from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so So I don't know. I mean, you know, there, the challenge, the whole thing, uh, the whole challenge of doing it alone is is, is nearly impossible. But I don't know, I guess if you're the sort of person who goes, Could you imagine a life of not doing it and I couldn't I, yeah you know I guess maybe that's when you know it's really the right thing to do, but so you know once we got you know at least at least some funds together, you know it what was tough is I could have done it probably for a lot cheaper and and it would have been a very different you know project i don't i i I think everything that you will see when you go to the screen used every penny we had. You know what I mean? There wasn't really anything that, like, I could have shaved it off, and it would have been the same movie. I mean, we were absolutely like maximizing what we had. Um, but I think that uh, I, I, I think that when you know, when you have something that you really love and that you really want to do, it's not. It, there's no. It's the risk is not. It's not. You you can do it. You can actually get yourself, you know, to put it all together and. Um, what i was going to say was that it was you know we had uh, a thing for me is like i wanted to to be like fair to people who Mm -hmm. are working on it one of my biggest problems on the first movie was like not being able to pay people very well because you realize how big of a commitment it is and i felt really guilty about that that's probably that's one of the biggest challenges i would say is when you don't have that much money and you've got all these incredible artists around you who deserve every penny they they you know they charge, but you can't really pay that wage. And it's like, there's a lot of guilt there, you know. And it feels like, it feels to a degree like you're taking advantage of people, um, because you kind of have to. And obviously, look, I mean, at the end of the day, they're the ones that agree to do it, and all this and that. And there's always an open door policy; no one's being forced. But, but I personally, for me, I was like, I wanted to at least have enough money put into this thing where I could pay a rate that was at least like human, you know what I mean? it wasn't great, but it certainly wasn't as bad as some, you know, productions really get away with. So so that meant that I had to raise at least enough money that I could that I could move this thing forward and at least on a basic humanitarian level, because because I it it was if I hadn't made the scratch that first movie, for, you know, seven grand, or 10,000, I don't even remember anymore. But like, it was right around there. Um, I wouldn't have kind of know, like, learned that lesson. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't realize kind of how shitty I felt at the fact that like, all these people were giving so much and getting so little. Yeah, you know, uh, if anything. Um, So, so I don't know, man, it, that, was a, that was that was, that was that's always a big challenge, the financial aspect of it, creating a plan to kind of create the non-existent and make it existent. It's such a difficult monumental task to take on um, that it was really, you know, once we actually could get some money put together and had a plan on paper and had kind of how we were gonna execute this thing, then it was like all steam ahead. But that, that right, I would say that was probably the most challenging part is really finding a way to really kick off this project as a film production in a way that was going to sit well with all the artists.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because essentially, you know, you're paying them, like, you know, obviously what they're worth, but, like, just, like, the time of, like, people to, like, just show up and just, like, yeah. commit to a day. Yeah, man, it's and like, look, everyone's
2: got a life. Everyone's got rent. We yeah. shop this in L.A. It's fucking expensive to live here. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not it's so terrible.
0: terrible. Huh? It's so terrible. I mean, could you? Yeah. wouldn't it be nice to, like, live? somewhere else Well, it'd be <laughs>
2: nice if like we weren't getting all the time that's gonna be that's yeah. for another podcast guys. yeah that's
0: another it's another <laughs> one but yeah no you're absolutely right i mean you know you just pay people for their time and efforts and you know
2: yeah i honestly i felt like like the the weight off of them the, the moral the moral weight off of my off of my uh my shoulders you know being able to kind of feel like i did this in a slightly more ethical way yeah, you know, like I had, I spent, you know, probably ten times the amount on this that I did on the scratch, mm-hmm. and I don't, dude, it was worth every penny because I, re- it was so nice. So, like I didn't know that. That was a lesson. That's like a lesson you only learn from doing your first movie, right? You're like, oh, this, I feel like an asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean, like you, you don't yeah. know you're feel like an asshole when you're when you're off making your first feature, and you're like. Asking people to work for twelve or fourteen hours and they're getting like nothing. You're yeah. like feeding them with goldfish crackers and they're like, it's fucking that, are, that or pizza. That are yeah. pizza. pizza we we'll always have
1: me. if we've come to know them. My my favorite is the uh, the Jersey Mikes. It's right. always Jersey Mikes. Just fucking lines of Jersey Mike subs.
0: <laughs> yeah, they have so many left over at the end of the day. Sometimes if I just never have
1: home. Jersey Mikes ever again, it'll be too soon. No, like, keep having it. It's good. I, I like Jersey Mike. I I like stuff I make also, and not Jersey Mike's every day. Okay. <laughs> um, as as we wind down here a little bit yeah. on, on the podcast, so the line, if you could like, um, describe like uh, genre influences, I like guess we yeah. talk about like movie influences and stuff like that. Is it like more uh, abstract? Is it like thrillers or like a crime action well, drama?
2: I'm a I'm a huge I'm a child of 90s action cinema um, because it was that's what was mainstream. Uh, so I love you know, I fell in love. We were talking earlier about Batman. You know, RoboCop was, I was a huge fan of, of that. Uh, you know, this the, the early Stallone or like I would say the premier Stallone movie, yeah. the premier Van Damme movie. Like I was experiencing those firsthand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Schwarzenegger. All yeah, he's good. good stuff. I, I really got, I, I was <laughs> lucky to come up in that time. Yeah. Uh, get to experience that stuff as the mainstream. Um, but, you know, so all those movies are, are always, you know, dear to me and, and 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 something that I kind of aspire to. But, you know, I would say, I don't know that I necessarily had the ability to apply any of the things that I wish I could from those movies, you know? Like, we're just too small potatoes. It's too small budget. And I think, I, I've developed kind of a really, a really, well, it's a mentality that has worked really well for me, which is if you can't do that thing that you're trying to do at a hundred percent, don't bullshit it, go the other direction. Like if you're trying to create a moment and you just can't afford to do it. Right. Then just one idiot, go the other direction, like do something else and do something interesting that isn't that. And so, you know, Again, I would love to have you know done the moment where like the dude shoots one bullet and the car blows up in the distance. <laughs> you know? Like that's what I was that's what I was raised on. Yeah, that's, you know that's that'll be for another time. Uh, but so you know, really, what what this movie was, the line was was really a culmination of kind of all those flavors. But I also I also actually really felt like I had something to say. Um, you know, one of one of my one of the things that I I think I really kind of (laughs) despise about my upbringing um, was, was just kind of how often I heard that success is financial. And maybe it wasn't said in so many words, but it was implied. You know what I mean? Like you just had to, you just had to make a bunch of money, man. That's it. The more money you make, the happier you are. And I really believed that, man. I swallowed that pill and I, I I gotta say that that really pissed me off. Once I got older and I realized kind of what a difficult machine the you know this this uh, this country can be uh, on people. We really emphasize lo- you know lots and lots of work and and you know the idea that you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all this and that and you can never need help and you can never be a burden on others and blah blah blah
0: mm-hmm.
2: whatever. I get where those things come from, but but I realize. The real thing that really that really fulfilled me and felt like was the right answer was really not something anybody ever spoke to me about, which was. The counter argument that I, I think I think real success is about achieving your, your passions and discovering what you're really made for and what makes you tick and the thing that makes you happy and fulfills you in ways that nothing else can or that few things can. Um, that to me is like, this is a much more interesting concept for success. So I start to get tired about, like when I go to a a movie and it's like, oh, they're gonna steal millions of dollars or like they're gonna get rich in this quick, get rich quick scheme. And it's just like boring, you know, we've done it so many times. And I'm just like, all right. I think that I, I have, I have a counter to this, I, you know, I would rather show a bunch of stories about people who were passionate about certain things, kind of having to fight to either achieve them or to defend them or to preserve them or whatever, um, and oftentimes in the face of financial uh, temptation. So just to kind of show that that there is another side to that coin in terms of you know, the conversation of what what does success really look like. So I, so that's what I was like, I really want to say this. This is something that I'm really passionate about saying. I, this is a, a message that I want my kids to hear so that when they get to my age, they're not like, you know what? Nobody ever said anything to me about discovering who I was, looking inwards and figuring out what makes me tick and what makes mm-hmm. me human and how I can then repurpose that as positive energy to give to others, et cetera. These are all lessons I learned so late in life. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to put a little of this into my work and hopefully I can share. And then, by the way, I'm not that old. So, you. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: we didn't say that we, we didn't but say did or... it feels like another lifetime ago yeah. you know um uh, so anyway that was i really wanted to put that message in there and i go you know when i think about my influences for from cinema i think about how these mainstream movies that i was going to yes they were ultimately like big entertaining pieces like i always i always talk about jurassic park this is like my thing about as you should <laughs> Because it's such a, a great, it's a perfect example. It's like the pinnacle of uh, of, of blockbuster, of, you know, big, you know, studio Dinosaurs. action movie. And it's about something you go, oh, it's about these people trying to survive these dinosaur attacks. But, but there's also a huge morality tale in it. You know what I mean? There was so much positive messaging in it. And that's when I'm like, that to me is pinnacle cinema. I think when movies can be those entertainment entertainment pieces that that do bring you that the the pizzazz and the dazzle of cinema but also kind of insert human messaging and the idea of the positivity and sharing with you a, a good morality tale I tell people like sure when you went to Jurassic Park you experienced these people running away from dinosaurs but you also experienced people fighting with the concept of you know, you were so busy, worried about whether or not you could. You you didn't stop to think about whether or not you should. And if that's not something that is absolutely relevant today in so much of what we what we're facing uh, in our current world, then I don't know what is. And, I, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I got that from a fucking dinosaur movie. <laughs> like you know what i mean like yeah. I think all this great morality and ethical lessons from from cinema like that is a part that is, a, that is an integral part of cinema and so i i really wanted to kind of like put what i could back in you know uh, you know in terms of messaging positive messaging into into what i was creating my effectiveness will be for another podcast but i tried really hard
0: guys so hopefully it <laughs> okay. worked <laughs> yeah we'd, we'd be glad to have you on dude
1: yeah yeah absolutely you're, you're welcome back anytime you want to just shoot Thanks, the man. shit or or you got another idea you want to you want to share to the world or, be, or yeah anything. man I've, I've got
2: another idea i'm ready i'm already ready getting ready to start start the next script so okay oh. i am going in there i'll
1: have to start making money but we'll see i mean hey when when you're good to go tell us all about it we would love to have you on for real, for real. this yeah this was a blast i cannot believe this is the first time we've i'm pretty sure we did like pass like hello or something at gene's birthday yeah. but yeah. there was a lot I of noise gene i don't was remember just blackout i don't drunk. remember so, i was probably
2: really stoned Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Then, no, I, I didn't something. i didn't get to get anything i was like who has gene's bag now He's oh, <laughs> no, don't
2: yeah. dude, dude! I remember we were outside <laughs> in the patio I will never forget this this is this will always be the image I have of Gene's birthday it was raining in Los Angeles which is yes. really epic weird and we were outside and it was warm but you had the rain and it's warm and that's kind of like a really cool feeling uh and so we were out in the patio at Barney's Beanery just getting absolutely soaked I think Gene is probably like you know six seven drinks deep. He is not. He is barely with it. He <laughs> orders a thing of chicken wings. The guy brings it outside, leaves it on the table, and Gene proceeds to ignore it until it becomes chicken soup. No. I mean, it's just, oh. just drenched in the rain, and I don't think you even ate them, man. You just let left them. No. And look, as a Mexican, we do not leave food on the table. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, I felt particularly weird about it.
0: <laughs> did someone eat it, or just it just got? Uh, it, I know, no man, I don't oh, think anyone touched it. Oh, like,
2: touch huh. a soggy buffalo wing! God,
0: <laughs> you know, the
1: more people tell me of that night, the more I remember. So that's <laughs> oh, <man. We're laughs> hey, look, fun. it <laughs> it was it was a good night. You had yeah. fun. That's what matters. Um. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I guess, uh, Gene, anything else you want to ask our fantastic yeah. guests before we wrap up? Before you go, Jorge, because we're, yeah. we're big fans,
0: what can you say about John McTiernan that won't like get you, like, you know?
2: Oh, I don't. Can't I didn't sign it. Uh, No, man. Look, I uh, I'll try and make the story quick because I know you guys probably have to cut this down. But no, um, no, fuck
1: it. We're 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 doing it live. Just go, go for right, it. Live. All right, all yeah. right. So
2: so one of my most memorable projects was I sold a script called Red Squad uh, to a company, and they were hot to trot on it. They really loved it. It was one of their highest rated scripts. Um, that's sounds <laughs> to say I couldn't have done a whole lot better. But it was they, it was really good in their eyes uh and so they they helped in in starting to produce it and it was going to be like a 30 million dollar budget thing so it wasn't going to be like you know 100 million plus or anything but you know they had like um nicholas cage attached and they had i think at one point travolta excuse me travolta was attached and and then we had to go go and find our director well Word got out that John McTiernan was going to get out of jail soon, <laughs> and he probably he probably needed some work. He probably he probably needed to money. the
0: needed the uh, money, you know.
2: Yeah, and so uh, we had actually been in contact with John McTiernan <laughs> while he was still in prison. <laughs> Did you visit and him? We would, we would like exchange notes and shit, and sometimes he would do rewrites and like in the prison. Really cool. Yeah, from prison. Wow, that's um, fucking. Sorry, didn't yeah, That's it, fucking
1: amazing. <laughs> was, it, awesome? was
2: it a nice prison? Was it? The... Uh, I, I mean, I I don't. Know. <laughs> I'm gonna guess no because he. It was in the golf old, course he, prison. He kind of looked like he had gone through some shit, like oh. when he got out. Oh but,
0: no.
2: Yeah, it was. It, it was. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, he, he, well, was, he was. He's a cool. He was. He was. Look, genius. Genius filmmaker. Cool. I, I think he's incredible. But I like, love Die goes, Hard. Really, yeah. There was a little bit of uh, a little bit of conspiracy theory always going yeah. on he was always a little worried that somebody was like right behind him or something
0: yeah um, well well kids that's why you don't uh record a call with the fbi
2: yeah <laughs> yeah he was he went to jail for for some time there <laughs> um but uh it, you know i was actually really stoked about it i was working closely with him i actually went to wyoming he has like a ranch out in wyoming and uh, I was out there for a little bit and it was all snowy and like we were working on the script and getting it ready. Like this was gonna go, this thing was gonna happen. And so then John McTiernan and Nicolas Cage started working together and getting ready to, to do this, um, to do Red Squad. And there were two primary characters, right? Like the, I had written kind of the, uh, the Rambo-esque uh, mercenary, you know, the mysterious soldier who you know is matched by nobody classic action archetype yeah and then i had uh and then i had his counterpart which was uh the dea agent who's kind of more the desk jockey who is who is now kind of like being ostracized by the dea but kind of was going to use this mercenary to help him get the real bad guy which is the drug cartels bad uh they were the bad dude uh um, but no it was really cool i actually really loved the script it's kind of like a, a modern telling of the magnificent seven uh in that like you know it takes place it's I fucking love that movie right yeah. It, takes, yeah it takes place in uh in this mexican border town and it comes down to it becomes you know like the end the whole end sequence of saving private ryan where they're like all in this town and they're gonna have to like fight their way out of this town against like german forces it's very that's what i was thinking about when i wrote that end sequence and so it was like this small group of mercenaries that were going to have to defend this little Mexican border town against this big drug cartel. So it was going to be a really killer story and script. And I was super, super stoked. But then what happened was that Nicolas Cage, I agree with Jonathan, uh, with, with John McTee. Uh, I, John McTiernan said, like, Nick, you need to play the DEA agent. You need to kind of play the desk jockey that uh, kind of has that uh, he, he, he has a, a leadership quality to him, but he's not like the body. You know what I mean? He's not like the violent version. He's got a little more depth to him. Something kind of a little more reminiscent to something like Matchstick Men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is arguably one of Nick Cage's best roles.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but Nick Cage, I think, got a little ego in him. And he said, uh, no, I want to play the action star. I want to play the guy who holds the big gun. And, uh, and so John McKeown said, no, I, I got to disagree with you on that. And Nicolas Cage said, no, I got to disagree with you on that. And the whole thing went kaput. No. And they so They both put the movie because they, of, 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 of uh, creative differences. They couldn't see eye to eye on that. And uh, and then here we were, the kids, uh, kids the product of a, of a divorce, a messy divorce. It never worked out. And, and who knows where we ended up. But we never got a chance to make that movie. And that was... Just one of many heartbreak stories I have here in
1: Hollywood, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I here, here's a positive. I don't know if it's for you, but it's definitely positive for me. I don't. I'm not very religious, like at all. Uh, I fate, nebulous concept. I do believe, however, Jorge, that you and I were fated to meet because I have been questioning for years why hasn't John McTiernan made another movie? <laughs> yeah. He clearly still had it. You know, he, he's, he's some misses, sure, whatever. Everyone has them. No one's perfect. Things out of yeah, his control, whatever. Not much, like not even. And maybe like uh, r- r- rollerball. Roller, r- huh? Rollerball, right? Rollerball was like his
2: worst, but <laughs> but I would argue that he uh, that he that that he probably took that as a job. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah.
1: I, yeah. I think I, I think got to got to pay for the ranch. Yeah, right. there's other stuff outside of his control, but everything else. I love John McTiernan movies. Yeah, what? and so I've been like, what? What stopped him, you know, like, was, is it just like people don't want to hire him after his legal troubles? No, trust me. We, we definitely milked the, uh, the, the tablet
2: angle of it. Um, Yeah, We actually got a big write up. We were in all all the trades because this was going to be John McTiernan's first movie coming out of jail. (laughs) Uh, And and it was going to be a big deal. So no, man, honestly, I think that it's just, it's just a testament to how, absolutely nearly impossible it is to navigate this industry um that even you know in you know in a in a situation that was so covered by the press a guy like john john, john McTiernan, john I keep, john mcturne could um, could have such a challenge getting a project uh, but you know you hear guys like Ridley Scott, they still talk about it. They're like, yeah, no, I couldn't get this sold. I couldn't do this. I'm like, shit, dude, if you're not getting this shit, so how the fuck am I supposed to get this shit sold? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's terrifying, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's just the nature of it.
1: Yeah, that's that that's too bad. But thank you for finally filling that void in my heart for the yeah, last decade. I mean, look,
2: look, look it up, though, because that's now been a few years. So he, um, I think that he, last I heard, he was signed on to do something, but I'm not really sure. I'm not sure if he's doing anything in the tv space he may have just straight up quit man maybe he just when he got out of jail he probably found a very different industry and um and maybe didn't like it um maybe he just went off to go hang out with his cows in wyoming yeah
1: yeah the life it's life um, cheaper than- oh i the the one thing I, I have seen from john McTiernan is i i think it was like 2019 or 2020 christmas where John McTiernan he he goes on like a ten minute long explanation of like why Die Hard is like an anti-establishment piece and yeah. like it it's he, he's out there he's, yeah, he's I fucking would kill to get him on this podcast to talk about it or talk someone. to him at all no but I, like, he he is out there
2: <laughs> I I absolutely will take to my grave is one of the coolest moments I experienced was getting a chance to just talk about the Magnificent Seven with him. Oh, we just talked about the Magnificent Seven for like an hour. Damn it. And just that's like, amazing. what it was about, and like everything, and because he really liked that, that spirit of it. And I think he connected with that. He was like, OK, yeah, I see that. Like modern day Magnificent Seven. That's great. Which we've now remade. Right. Um, which, you know, might work on some level or another. But uh, um, I think we all still agree that that, that original film is classic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I I it's think awesome. it's it's frankly un- underrated. <laughs> like everyone talks about Seven Samurai, rightfully so. It's yeah. clearly Seven Samurai, you know, it's that's the like the, the upper echelon of cinema. But yeah. I do think News and Seven's got some great shit and well, and it's and, and I, it's going to completely reach a different like group of people, right? A completely different audience.
2: Yeah. Uh that was, you know, the the old western audience was not necessarily the same audience that was appreciating Kurosawa's work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean? so,
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I literally think about uh, the, the Eli Wallach's like last line to Yul yeah. Brenner at the end. You know, I think about it all fucking time because so the movie doesn't give you the answer. He's like, yeah. um, "You came back, a man like you to a place like this, like why?" And, yeah. and it's just like, "Fuck, that's so well, good." Well, I gotta rewatch that movie again. Yeah, so I, I need to do that too. Yeah, <laughs> that movie rules. People are cowards when they don't talk about it. They really. I are. think it's, Can't I think think it's one of
2: the, one of the iconic westerns for sure. yeah yeah. lots of lots of really great westerns but that movie stands out
1: yeah yeah. uh mr jorge suarez thank you very much for joining us very Uh,
2: welcome you guys it was an absolute pleasure i would love to bullshit about movies with you guys anytime
1: yeah see this is fun this is what we do like twice a month sometimes three yeah yeah (laughs) Um, but yeah, uh, where can people find you online and where can oh, where can people see the line uh, eventually or are you going to you're going to kind of reserve that for the, the sales. They will. There will likely be. We're kind of in the process of hearing back from a large
2: portion of the uh, uh, the film festival circuit that we've at least applied to. Um, so I'm sure there will be another screening coming up. So I'll be happy to share that. But you can get me on Twitter at uh, the Jorge Suarez uh, you can also uh, get me on Instagram at S.A. Jorge Suarez, uh, because that Jorge Suarez or the Jorge Suarez was taken. Uh, <laughs> so I went Spanish and I got around the bullshit, but um, uh, I'm yeah, you can get me on those and I will uh, I, I actually I'll share like any screening information for where uh, where it'll be possible to view, but it'll be this, uh, it is screening this Saturday in Hollywood at 2 p.m. at the Let Live Theater uh, in Hollywood, uh, which is, I don't I forget the address off the top of my head, but uh, uh, November 10th. Wait, no, that's today. Uh, It would be the 12th,
0: the 12th. November
2: 12th um, is, uh, yeah, Saturday afternoon. So if you guys, uh, it's part of the LA Action Film Festival. So if you guys want to come by, uh, if anybody who appreciates the show wants to come by, I don't know that this show will actually be out by the time it, it screens, which is fine. But um, I, like I said, go to the social media handles and I will uh, populate those places with any
1: screen details coming up. Cool. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going to drag. You no. I don't know. No, I, I have a, here. You know, what? For, oh. for this, I will have the episode out the morning after we record just to help promote that as, as much yeah. as we can, If okay, as, as our social media stand on Twitter. um, I have a, a photography show that I have a piece yeah. in, so I, I will not be able to attend that. But cool. it sounds great. Gene will go for the podcast.
0: You know what?
2: I think we're also going to do like a private little private screening at some point. Well, you know, we'll just do like a handful of
0: friends and we'll make sure that you're there. I would love to see it. Yes. Absolutely. It's going to be at like your house.
1: Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, go yeah, do there you go. Yeah. Any excuse
2: yeah. I have, for sure. Uh, I'll, I'll share it, man. I'm proud of it. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, thank you so much. For this. this was a blast. Um, you welcome, man. Thank uh, you. Yeah. yeah, welcome back anytime. Gene, how about you? Where can the people find you online?
0: Yeah, sure. You could find me on Twitter, Instagram, Gene9892. Um, for as long as the Twitter will be there. I don't know, at the end of the oh, week, if it's problem. still
1: standing. Yeah, who, who fucking knows? Uh, that's where, like half involved. our audience comes from, so. I
0: don't know what the fuck we're going to do. Go to Macedon <laughs> or something. I don't know.
1: People people, people listen to us on Spotify and SoundCloud, Obviously. so Truth that's cool. Of-
0: what's up? Truth Social?
2: Is that where we're going to move over to? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> <Truth social. laughs> no.
1: Um, I, I start posting on Facebook, I guess. <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh. Uh, and of oh. course, you can find me and the rest of the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon. Oh. Links down below in the descriptions. The YouTube, Spotify versions. Uh, check out the Patreon. There's, I, I'm not gonna lie. There's nothing new there. You're caught up on everything. But uh, I will be doing some some film writing again, just to just to get some stuff out there. And I don't want to leave anyone hanging. Uh, and uh, I want to make sure you, the patrons, are are having a good time. Uh, you will be the first ones to hear about the next planned retrospective, which I'm talking to Macaringo about. Um, We're going to do Avatar. I I tried to pitch James Cameron retrospective. I don't think we have the the feasible energy to do all of that. But we'll talk talk. about Avatar and then we'll all talk about Avatar 2 and I'll tell you all while you're wrong about the first avatar because it is good. Uh, But anyways, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for watching. Like and subscribe. If you didn't like this episode, you're crazy. But like and subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like. Again, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional.